Join me in your Bibles in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 to 21. Our passage today is Luke chapter 8, verses 4 to 21, returning in our study to the gospel, in the gospel according to Luke. With God's help, if you would, turn your hearts and give your attention to the reading of God's word. When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, He said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience." No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Take care then how you hear. You you hear the theme there. You trace the thread that runs through this whole passage. A great crowd is gathering unto Christ. People from town after town 
the Bible tells us, are flocking to see him. It's everything that we want to see when the gospel is being preached. The Lord seems to be working among the lost. There are hordes of people that are coming to hear the hope of Jesus Christ. There's a great interest in the things of God. It's a sign of ministry success. It's a dangerous word, isn't it? Jesus looks at this situation. He, he sees the, the, the multitudes coming to him, uh, eager to hear what he has to say. And he says, this is a time to draw distinctions. This is a time actually to issue a warning to those who are coming to listen. It's a time to draw a line in the sand and make sure that no one suffers under the misguided idea that their presence there under the preaching of the gospel, means something definitive about their eternal standing, about their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought not to be taken as a surefire indication of your standard with God, the fact that you're sitting under the preaching of the word of God. And it's when this crowd comes to to hear Jesus that Christ takes up this theme. Take care then. Not that you hear, but how. How you hear. How do you listen to the word of God? The the question here, what's at stake, is not whether you're familiar with the, the message of the gospel. It's not whether you understand what the the Bible has to to teach or even whether you have uh, the kind of fluency necessary to teach it yourself, but what you have done with what you have heard, what kind of hearer you are. And Jesus tells a parable to drive home this point. It's one of the most well-known parables in all of scripture. Often this is called the parable of the sower. You may see that in a heading in your scripture, in, in, in your Bible. The stress here though, actually isn't on the sower. The sower's activity never changes throughout uh, the whole story. He sows the seed. That's the one constant. That's the thing that, that never changes. What changes? It's the soil. It's the kind of soil that the seed lands upon. That's where the emphasis lays throughout the text. So this might be more aptly uh, described as the parable of the soils, the parable of the four soils. And it's a very piercing, uh, soul-searching kind of parable because we can all be found here. Every one of us are located somewhere in this parable. By virtue of the fact that you're sitting here in this room, you are in this story. You can be found in one of the four kinds of soils that are described. It's directed to people like us, to churchgoers, to people who sit under the preaching of the word of God week in and week out. And maybe you, you hear the word uh, much more than even you do here. We have a, a glut uh, when it comes to uh, the, the preaching of God's word at our disposal in our day and age. There is an embarrassment of riches available to us. Well, here's a passage that calls us to account. What do we do with what 
we have heard. How do we hear? Jesus describes four kinds of ground upon which the seed is scattered. First, there's the path. This is where travelers walk along by the way and the, the seed is trampled underfoot. Uh, it, it is trampled upon by those who walk along the way and then whatever is left over, the birds of the air come and they devour it, they eat it up. Some falls on the rock. Don't think here of rocky soil where there are stones and um, soil all mixed together. The idea here is more where you have, you have a few inches of soil and then beneath that, there's a layer of bedrock. And so what happens? Well, the soil is able, or the, the seed rather, is able to take hold. Uh, it, it, it takes hold and life springs up uh, right away. It, it seems to grow, but there is no moisture in that ground. And so there's nothing to sustain the life. And so that seedling withers away. The third is thorny ground. And just like the one that comes before it, uh, there is a seedling that, that sprouts up and it grows initially, but then it's choked. It's choked out. The ground there hasn't been cultivated and there are all kinds of other things that are competing for the, the moisture and the nutrients that are available in that, that soil. And so it chokes out the plant and it suffers and dies. And then finally, there's the good soil where the seed grows and it yields a harvest, a hundredfold even. Well, Jesus gives this illustration and then he proclaims, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's not a throwaway line. It's not like Jesus is saying, if this is something that interests you, then, then, then take a listen. It's more like this. If the truth that this story points to is something that you are able to perceive, even in part by God's, by God's grace, then hearken your hearts. Give all of your attention to what I am saying. Apply yourself to my teaching. And you can see the disciples doing that. They do exactly that. In the passage that follows, his disciples ask him what this parable meant. It wasn't immediately obvious what Jesus was saying to them. It wasn't self-evident based on the story. Now, if you have been a churchgoer your whole life, you can't escape the fact that you've heard this story a million times. But just take that first section. It's not as self-evident, the meaning of what Christ is teaching, as it is once you've heard him unpack its teaching. Well, the disciples come to him and they ask, what does this mean? They do a good thing. They incline their hearts uh, to the wisdom of the wise. They apply their hearts to the knowledge of God. Listen to this, Proverbs 2 and verse 3. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding 
And you see the insight and the encouragement that is to be found here when you bring that lack of understanding and your ignorance and your confusion to to the Lord and you bring an open Bible and you say, God, teach me. Help me to understand the truth of your word. Christ begins to unfold that. He teaches you by his spirit through his word to those that seek him. So what does this parable mean? Well, Jesus says before you can really answer that question, you need to understand what the purpose of parables are in the first place. Why do we have parables in the scriptures? Well, he says that this particular way of teaching, this uh, particular biblical genre has a special divinely designed purpose. Look at verse 10. He said to you, It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. I want you to notice that Christ's primary audience here draws down to his disciples. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. God has sovereignly, graciously opened the eyes of his people. The disciples don't perceive uh, what they do perceive because they are more insightful people, because they're more educated people. That's not the answer here. It's been given to them. You remember how when when Jesus goes up to his disciples and he asks, who do people say that the son of man is? They said, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What does Jesus say in response to this? He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Well, the same is true here. Owing to the kindness of God, the disciples, Jesus says, know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Paul, in his epistles, Uh, calls it the secret hidden wisdom of God. Not in the the sense that the, 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 the wisdom of God is hidden away somewhere in a vault where you can't access it, where no one can find it, that it's out of reach, that only certain people are allowed to have access to it. We're talking about things that are freely given to us by God, his good, gracious redemptive purposes to uh, draw people to himself. And yet at the same time, there are things revealed to us by the spirit. And so they are an open secret in that respect. They're things that God opens spiritual eyes to be able to see. The natural man discerneth not the things of The spirit, why? Well, they are spiritually discerned. You must have the spirit of God if you are going to understand the things revealed by the spirit. So the disciples know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Now, on the other hand, you have those for whom those same truths are in parables. 
And Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter six here where he says, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. That was the message that Isaiah was given to go and say to the people. You remember where uh, Isaiah has that uh, terrifying encounter with the glory of the Lord in Isaiah chapter six, and he sees the Lord, he has this vision of the Lord uh, seated upon a throne, high and lifted up, the train of his robe filling the temple, uh, the the, the seraphim, these, these angelic beings unstained by sin, nevertheless shield their faces from the holiness of God in his presence. And they cry to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah is undone by the whole experience. He is undone at the holiness of God juxtaposed with his own unrighteousness. And he says, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. He feels his guilt before a holy God. And you know this story. One of the seraphim goes and he takes a coal from from the altar, that which has been spent on the sacrifice. And he touches his lips and he cleanses him. He says his guilt has been taken away and his sin has been atoned for. And then and only then does Isaiah raise his hand and say, here I am, send me. The Lord says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And then God says this, go and say to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. It was a, how do you say it? It was a grim commission. Go and tell the people, listen, but don't understand. Isaiah, I want you to go and preach so that their hearts are dull. The the word in the original there is fat, like fat-headed, like someone who cannot understand. Well, so it is with the parables of Christ. The secrets of the kingdom of God are in parables so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. The problem is worse than that they don't understand or that they refuse to hear. That much is true, but the, the plain fact of the, manner is, of, of the matter is that the preaching of the word of God is making ears that are already hard of hearing deafer still. It's making the hearts of the people dull. It is stopping up ears. It is blinding spiritual eyes. The word of God is working to deaden spiritual senses. But notice this, it's deadening the senses of those that already don't want to hear. 
They have already rejected God. When Isaiah brought this to the people, he brought it to a people who had already rejected the Lord. They had already uh, turned in sin. They were living in sin and idolatry against the Lord God. And so God sent Isaiah so that they would be left without excuse. Christ is saying the same thing here. Parables are a kind of act of judgment against unbelieving peoples, those who harden their hearts against the living God. They are one of the ways that the lost are given over to their sin. This is the preacher's dilemma. When our hearers don't want to listen, when those we want to bring the truth to, don't want to listen to that truth. What can we do but preach to them that same truth again? What recourse do we have but to proclaim the only hope of salvation found in the Lord Jesus Christ? But as we do that, we do that knowing that something must and will happen to their hearts. Something must and will happen to the hearts of those who hear. They will either be softened to the one who grants hearts of flesh, to one who causes men to be born again, or they will become more and more recalcitrant and stubborn in their rejection. This is the terrible reality of the preached word of God to the souls of men, beloved. It is always having an effect on our hearts, it is always doing something. Don't fool yourself into thinking that it's not. Don't fool yourself into thinking, I will respond some other time. Friend, your non-response is a response, and it's changing you. It is changing you. That much is inescapable. By the end of this sermon, every person in this room will either be closer to the Lord in a loving trust and a humble submission or further and further away. There is no getting away from that reality. So parables reveal and they conceal If you are looking for the truth, if you are seeking the face of God, they are there to show you the way. If you are not, they will only leave you scratching your head. If you want to know God, the parables of Christ will illuminate his character. They will show you his ways. They will teach you what it is to follow Christ. If you don't want to know him, they won't make any sense to you. Now, it's with that warning and that admonition in place that we return to the parable. And Jesus gives the explanation here. He says, the seed is the word of God. The seed represents the word. That which uh, the Bible says when it is received with meekness, the implanted word is able to save our souls. It's able to rescue us from eternal damnation. This is where life begins with the seed of the word of God. 
We have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Without the seed of the word of God, nothing else happens. This is one of the reasons the the preeminency of the word of God must be in place in our lives. It must be in place in the church of Jesus Christ. Everything must be centered around the word of God because that's where life is found. Without the word of God, everything withers away. And so the sower goes around and he casts his seed and as he goes, it lands on one of four types of soil. Jesus says that each one of these kinds of soil represents one of four kinds of hearers. Again, every person in the room can be identified in one of these four different groups. Jesus' interest is not in agriculture. It's in the hearts of men. It's in souls. In particular, the way we hear. Hear the word of God. And we're going to take each one of these in turn. And I would ask you to ask the Lord to show you where you can be identified. Where can you be identified in each one of these groups? Which one of these kinds of soil represents the kind of hearer you are? First, there are the ones along the path. Look at verse 12 with me. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Here Jesus highlights the fact that there is a spiritual battle that is raging for the souls of men. Do you think it's possible that the devil is never so active as he is when the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Would it not surprise us then to discover the devil would want to intercept that seed as it is being sown? Should we be taken aback that the God of this world who has blinded the eyes of unbelievers would want to intercept that seed? That he would want to be active, not out there, but in here, in the church to keep us from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Are we surprised to see churchgoers lulled into listless slumber as the gospel, so mighty to save as it is, sounds forth? Jesus makes it clear here that the devil wants to keep the word from being received. He fills our, our, our thoughts with earthly thoughts. He shows us how much we will have to lose if we were to follow Christ, how much we would have to sacrifice, how much we would have to give up, all that you'd have to lay aside if you're gonna submit your life to him. You may find him telling you there'll be some other opportunity. You'll have another chance down the road to respond or Maybe that you're already too far gone, that it's too late now to, return, to turn to him. He may suggest that you rely on your good works, on your performance. He may tell you to rest on your good upbringing, that you have been brought up in a Christian household and therefore can't help but be one of Christ's own yourself. 
He comes to take away the word from the heart so that they may not believe, to prevent the joining of faith with the hearing of the word that men may not be saved. Watch out then how you hear. Second, we see the ones on the rock. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing, fall away. And at first glance, you look at this group, and they look very different. They look very different and very encouraging compared to the one that comes before you. There seems to be life. There, there is not disinterest. There is not unbelief. Uh, there, there's not opposition. These are those who listen to the word. They receive it, and with joy, no less. There's enthusiasm at what they hear. They have a real experience with the truth. There's a positive response at the preaching of the word. But then what happens in time of testing? They fall away. The impression that the word has upon the heart is just a temporary one. It doesn't last. It says the hearer believes for a while. We're not talking here about someone who has been truly converted. We're not talking about saving faith. We're looking at someone who takes an interest in Christ. And it may be a true, uh, sincere interest. I trust this is something we probably can all identify with on one level or another. How many times have we been sitting under the preaching of the word of God and we have found our hearts intensely stirred? Our affections are moved. As we sit under it, maybe our consciences are troubled, our hearts are convicted. The Lord impresses upon our minds the joy that can be known. If only we will turn from our sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, make him our treasure and our delight. These are those who believe for a while. They're like those in in the book of Hebrews. They've experienced some sense of spiritual enlightenment. There it says they tasted of the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. They sit in the company of the saints. Their hearts are filled with this sense of warmth and enthusiasm and joy. But then that initial effect begins to fade away. It slips away. How so? A time of testing comes in. It shows the true metal of their profession, of what they claim to be their own, what they profess of Christ. Persecution comes in on account of the word. The book of Matthew says, things become hard. Your faith is pressed upon. Trials enter your life. And the genuineness of what you first professed is thrown into the fire and it is consumed. Spurgeon tells a story in his autobiography about a man, he says, caused him many bitter tears. There's a man in a certain village he, was, he described as the ringleader of all that was bad. He was a tall, fine, big fellow, a man that could drink more largely than perhaps any man for miles around. He was the terror of the neighborhood, a man who would curse and swear and never knew a thought of fear. Well, Spurgeon says he stopped in one day to hear the word of God. And he wept. 
All the parish was astonished. There was old so-and-so weeping, and it was rumored that this old Tom felt impressed. He began regularly to attend the chapel and was manifestly an altered man. The public house lost an excellent customer. At last, he ventured to come forward at the prayer meeting. He talked about what he had experienced, he, what he had felt and known. I heard him pray. It was rough, rugged language, but there was impassioned earnestness. I set him down as a bright jewel in the Redeemer's crown. He held out six, nay, nine months. He persevered in our midst. If there was rough work to be done, he would do it. If there was a Sunday school to be maintained six or seven miles away, he'd walk there. At any risk, he would be out to help in the Lord's work if he could be, but be of service to the meanest member of the body of Christ, he rejoiced greatly. So he went on, but at last, the laughter to which he was exposed, the jeers and scoffs of his old companions, though at first he bore them like a man, became too much for him. He began to think he was a little too fanatical, a little too earnest. He slunk up to the place of worship, Instead of boldly coming in, he gradually forsook weeknight service. He forsook the Sabbath day at last. And though often warned and often rebuked, he returned to his old habits. Any thoughts of God or godliness that he'd ever known seemed to die away. He could again take the blasphemer's oath. Once more, he, he could act wickedly with the profane. And he of whom we had often boasted and said in our meetings together, oh, how much is God to be glorified by this? What cannot grace do to the confusion of us all was seen to be sometimes drunk in our streets and it was thrown in our teeth. This is one of your Christians, is it? One of your converts gone back again and become as bad as he was before. They believe for a while. And in time of testing, they fall away. Brothers and sisters, the important thing is not just how you begin the life of faith. Praise God for good beginnings, but the totality of your life must be watched. You have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what you have promised. What kind of hearer are you? As for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Jesus speaks here of a third category. He says that there are some whose hearts are thorny ground. They are beset with a multitude of other things that are competing for their attention. And again, it is, it's not as though there is deep-seated hostility here uh, against the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not rank enemies of the church. If you ask them whether they believe the gospel to be true, they would say yes. They would gladly espouse everything that the scripture espouses. But when it comes to the work of God within the heart, and when you survey their life as a whole, they're preoccupied. They're preoccupied with other things. 
Some are consumed with anxiety over the cares of the world. They look to these things as the source of their security and stability in life. They're anxious about them. Others take the same things, money, food, riches, pleasure. They indulge in them. They idolize them all the same. You can be poor and you can be rich and be beset with the same problems that you see here in this third group, the cares of the world, riches, pleasure. First Timothy 6 and verse 9, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away. There it is, wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. These are things that figure large in the teaching of Christ and for good reason, because they're things that we bump up against every day in our life, the cares of the world, money, pleasures, all of these things have the potential to become idols in our life every single day for every single person to the point that they can crowd out space for the one true and living God. Now I want, I want you to notice also the contrast here between this group and the one that comes before it and the second group, that, that stony ground, the testing comes and it says that immediately they fall away. What happens here? It says that it's as they go on their way. So as they're going along in life, in other words, it is a slower, gradual, more imperceptible drift. You don't notice it at first, but through a long series of compromises, it results in the same end. It nevertheless gives way in the end to full-blown apostasy. They wander away from, their, from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. Now, fourthly, you have the good soil. And this is what we most want to understand. This is what we want to find ourselves to be by the grace of God. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Church, what distinguishes these hearers? This is the most important thing we can know today. These are the only ones Jesus commends in this passage. Three things. First, they have an honest and good heart. They are humble. They're teachable. They're earnest. When the word of God is preached, their spirits say, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. When the word of God goes forth, they receive it, not as the word of men, but as, what, as it really is, the word of God. And their lives are transformed. Faith is joined to the hearing of God's word so that they really profit from it. They're changed. God's done a work in them so that they approach the promises of God and the one to whom those promises point in sincere faith, holy, 
honestly relying on him. There's not guile in their faith. There's no double-mindedness. They're not deceiving themselves. They don't think, well, I can hold on uh, behind my back to uh, those cares and riches and pleasures while I uh, hold on to the things of God. What do they do? They hold fast to the word. That's the second thing. They throw all of themselves around the word of God. Those, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast. They take the promises of God and they look in faith to the one in whom they are all yes and amen. And they hold fast. Endurance. That's the operative word. Endurance is what we're looking at. That's what it means to hold fast. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Not if we add a whole bunch of works to our faith, then God will really receive us. But if we hold our original confidence, or you could say the, the, the trust, the faith that you professed at first till the, till the very end. Brothers and sisters, a saving faith is an enduring faith. Good beginnings are something to rejoice in, but we have to persevere. This is an exhortation to persevere and wholehearted, believing faith. And perhaps there are some here today, and you've looked on the, the course of the last year, and you don't know whether you want to throw in the towel or, and just let it all go or not. Persevere. Lay hold of Christ yet again. Throw your arms around your only hope. Hold fast to the word and endure by God's grace. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that great uh, resurrection chapter, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Church, are you holding fast? Are you holding fast to the word that is being preached? And then third, they bear fruit with patience. The good soil represents hearers that bring forth a harvest. The seed falls into that soil of the heart. It springs forth to life. It does not wither away. The trials of life do not cause it to perish. The way the, the sun scorches away a little seedling patiently, patiently, it sends its roots down deep until at last it grows and it yields a hundredfold. And this brings clarity to the parable as a whole. It prevents us from, from tripping up on the idea of growth, of apparent growth in the, the previous couple of groups. The, the real emphasis here is on fruit. It's not on apparent life. It's on fruitfulness, the fruit of a transformed life. Jesus calls our attention to lives that are marked both by enduring faith and careful obedience. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. They put it into practice, which leaves us with the question, are you a member of Christ's family? 
Have you believed on his word and put it into practice? These are the ones who possess the secrets of the kingdom. They are ever looking to God, finding in him all the grace they need to overcome all of those obstacles of life, the times of testing that are inevitably going to come, that come and prove the tested genuineness of our faith. They overcome all of those obstacles, the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. They lean on him for strength to walk in obedience. That's what it means to hear the word of God in the way he desires us to hear it. Take care then how you hear. I have shelves full of books in my library on preaching, but I only know of a couple on hearing. Jesus is interested in how we hear here. This is very, very important. The best preaching, the most faithful preaching in the world will not profit a soul unless there's a cooperative effort on the part of both the preacher and the hearer. What you're doing here today is not something to be done passively. This is not a one-way enterprise. This is something to be acted upon. James 1 and verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who goes intently, who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, but being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You see what James says there, the, per- the person who positions himself under the hearing of the word of God, who listens to it regularly, but is not a doer of the word, lives in a state of self-delusion. He hears, but he hasn't taken heed how he hears. So don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. Jesus says in verse 16 in our text, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. This is a truism. It's something everyone knows. You don't go lighting a light and then immediately try to cover it up. That doesn't doesn't make any sense. And Jesus is not using this image of hiding a light in the way that he does in other places in the gospel, in the the book of Matthew, for example. Let your light shine among men so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There's an evangelistic focus there. Here, what's the application? The way in which you hear the word of God, look at verse 18, take care then how you hear, that will be plain for all to see. It cannot but be evidenced in our lives. Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, so take care how you hear. Now, friends, there's hope in those words. I hope you can see it. Let this be an encouragement to you. If you are someone and you recognize today that you are not in that last category, that you are not in the good soil, 
Christ does not give vain admonitions. And this is not a word that is directed solely at those who already hear, that already take heed. When he says, be careful how you hear, it is presumed that those who are dull of heart or or who haven't taken heed may find the grace to do so. But it's something that has to be taken to heart with a great deal of urgency, bearing in mind that if you don't, if you don't take care, it is like stuffing more and more wax into your ears with each successive exhortation. You can see that in verse 18. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Even what you think you possess is going to be stripped away. So don't delay. Don't delay in turning your heart to God. Don't deceive yourself into thinking you can orchestrate your life according to your own timetable and determine when you're going to respond yourself. Today is the day of salvation. If you reject that good news, you don't know that when you walk out of this room today, your heart may become so hardened that you will never again be able to hear what you're able to hear today. Well, then there's also the encouragement of the other side. To the one who has the secrets of the kingdom, to the one who has all of the the blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ, still more will be given. Still more will be given. And may God in his grace give more and more to us, more of himself, more of the knowledge of his son, more fruitfulness as we seek his face. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, How greatly do we need your help today? How miserably have we sinned and fallen short of your glory? Forgive us, God. Forgive us, Lord, for trifling with your word, for presuming upon the riches of your kindness and forbearance and patience. Lord, for living as though this was not meant to lead us to repentance. God, I pray your spirit would do a work in our hearts. Help us, Lord, as we listen to your word. Teach us to be careful how we hear. Our prayer is that we would be that good soil that takes your word and holds fast to it in an honest and good heart and bears fruit with patience. Come and plant your word in us, Lord. Let it grow up. Lord, let it yield much fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold in us, O God. Grant more and more of yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name.